podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So hello there guys and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you guys are doing very, very well indeed. I know I am a little bit tired but we'll power through nonetheless. But we are back once again for the second part of the F1 triple header following the summer break. And this weekend we are returning back to Zandvoort, the home of the Dutch Grand Prix, the home of of the 2021 world champion Max Verstappen and of course leading the 2022 world championship by a country mile right now. The man is in formidable form right now and it will leave a lot to the imagination as to whether or not there is someone out there that can stop him from winning at his home circuit again. But of course it's Formula One, anything can happen and often it does, to paraphrase the late, great Murray Walker. And joining me on this episode to discuss all of the news heading into this weekend's Dutch Grand Prix and previewing the Grand Prix itself is the return of DNF1 panel member Lee Wallington from his short break. Lee, first of all, thanks for coming back on the show as always. And how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm raring back for this weekend. That's, uh, hopefully I'll be in for a treat of a race around Zandvoort. I'm glad to be uh, discussing this preview. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot to be said about what we saw at the Belgian Grand Prix. I think a lot of us were expecting, despite the fact that the championship seemed to be well in the grasp of Max Verstappen and Red Bull, there was still plenty of racing to be going on at the front of the field. And unfortunately, for the F1 purist or for those that like a bit of healthy competition, it did seem that Red Bull and Max Verstappen in particular have stolen a huge march on the competition. Now, of course, there's a lot of variable factors as to why that could be. A lot of caveats that you could throw in there where the Spa circuit may have been incredibly suitable to the RB18. Red Bull may have got the balance absolutely right and their rivals like Ferrari, for example, got it completely wrong. The new technical directive that went live uh, last weekend on the metrics for the uh, volume of bounce and obviously the limits there for the vertical metrics to say the least and also how the flexi floors or the removal of flexi floors have affected performance from one team to another. I heard rumours that as many as eight teams were affected by this and perhaps Red Bull weren't actually one of them contrary to popular reporting up until the actual TD went live. So there's a lot going on there. But ultimately what we ended up with was a situation where we suddenly entered into a scenario where there could potentially be a one-car championship heading into the rest of the season. Now, I think we're under no illusions right now that Max Verstappen was very likely to win the 2022 World Championship. And of course, Red Bull comfortably leading the constructors as well. But based on what we saw at the Belgian Grand Prix, Lee, do you feel that we may be in... Well, we may be... Well, has the right way of putting this. We might be worried that there could be a repeat at this weekend's Dutch Grand Prix, or do you feel that perhaps it's going to be track-specific and we might get something that we're more accustomed to this weekend coming, where Ferrari and perhaps Mercedes will join the party as well? I personally got a feeling it's going to be some, another repeat. Because um, as a track, a regular racing track, the particulars of Zandvoort are very different to other racing tracks, especially like the Banks. 
Sex, I can't remember the corner number, to be honest. So I do apologize on that front. But it's another specific type of circuit that isn't a classic racing circuit like Silverstone um, as a the sweeping corners kind of situation. So it's a very particular setup and Red Bull are very good at finding that sweet, bot, sweet spot on those particular setups where it's an abnormal setup for that kind of circuit if you get the angle I'm coming from. So unfortunately, I think it's going to be a, a lovely second home win, well, second race home win for Max this year. And I mean second for this year because he is obviously half Belgian. So he had a, a head home win last weekend. Yeah, it's a nice little double header for Max Verstappen. He kind of goes to two homes, really. And he's already got the first one under his belt, as he did last season, although technically that wasn't really a race. But the record books will show that he won that Grand Prix. And of course, he won the 2021 Dutch Grand Prix as well. So he'll certainly be looking to do back-to-back victories at that circuit as well. And, you know, following on from what we saw at the Belgian Grand Prix, it was a masterclass from Max Verstappen. Yes, he had a rocket ship of a car underneath him and often... When you do have the fastest car, if you're good enough, you often win these races. But of course, you've got to get the job done. Something that Ferrari, by contrast, haven't actually done very often this season when they've been in a very similar position themselves. So reflecting on what we've seen this season where Red Bull, arguably at no point this season where they've had a car as dominant compared to their competition as they had at the Belgian Grand Prix. Why do you think, in your opinion, Lee, that was the case. Why did Red Bull suddenly steal a massive march on the competition, and in particular on Ferrari and Mercedes as well? Well, it, as you already mentioned, so many factors could have already played a part in that with the massive march on Ferrari. But as again, Ferrari have or appear to have shot themselves in their own foot again in the weekend with the messing up with the the tyres in qualifying for Charles about they wouldn't put him on the old, um, new tyres and put him used and then the lap and they put him out of sync. And, um, well, obviously, I know he had his penalty, but that's still not the point. Um, and then the miscommunication with the strategy. And it's just... And nearly lost the... Well, he did lose the place, didn't he? He lost the place to Fernando with the penalty for speeding in the pit lane for that unnecessary pit stop. So it's all these kind of things that Ferrari are just still struggling. And, they, and we've been saying all season so far is the operations of Ferrari are letting them down. Minus obviously the reliability that has let them down. But it's just what's um, where Red Bull have first time last weekend, they had probably the fastest, well, they did have the fastest car, but it's the first time that they could argue, say they've had the fastest car where all season's been Ferrari, 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 and Ferrari. And Red Bull have just been in the place to pick up the pieces because Ferrari going to get it wrong somewhere. Um, but they've had some good racing as well. I'm not taking anything away from Red Bull on that front that they've been picking up the pieces. They've been close and or just slightly fastest, but not to the level we had in Spa. But yeah, I just think Red Bull just showing why they are a world championship winning team. And that hasn't changed since their last um, period of domination. They were always the team taking it to Mercedes through their domination because of they are they have that pedigree. Yeah, it did seem like Red Bull executed this race absolutely perfectly. And there almost seemed like a sense of inevitability about this victory from Max Verstappen. It's very rare, even in the dominant Mercedes era and the Ferrari era and the Red Bull era that obviously came before that particular one, where 
the bookies were unanimously in favour of predicting that Max Verstappen would win the Grand Prix from as low down as 15th on the grid. Of course, he was promoted to 14th after Yuki Tsunoda had to start from the pit lane. But even then, there seemed to be absolutely no reservations whatsoever, despite the fact that the two leading drivers in that race going into it were two of his main rivals, his teammate Sergio Perez driving the same car as him, and of course, Carlos Sainz, race winner this season, driving in the F175 Ferrari, which obviously has been the benchmark so far this season, for at least the most part of it. It was just incredible to see how many people, myself included, just seemed to be so confident that Max Verstappen would just blitz the field and then go on and dominate the race. And he did that in such in record time, in 12 laps. It was astonishing to see how he managed to pull that off so comfortably in the end. You'd be forgiven for thinking that he'd started on pole position, given how dominant he ended up being. And it has raised some questions from rival teams, most notably Ferrari, of course, that have been quite interested in how Red Bull have managed to find these gains. Are they track-specific? Was the Red Bull set up in the optimum set up window compared to the competition or did they find something uh, that is perhaps beyond the realms of understanding for their rivals and, and what I kind of want to point to is some data that has been collated following the Belgian Grand Prix and, and just looking at the qualifying session Max Verstappen obviously was the fastest of all by about six tenths of a second or nearly seven tenths of a second it was quite astonishing Carlos Sainz admittedly did mess up his final run but Max did this on his first run and Max was not only fastest in the final sector, second fastest to Albon by 100 for second in the first sector, but he was a few temps faster than Charles Leclerc's Ferrari in the middle sector. And bear in mind, Ferrari had set up their car primarily to have more downforce and be mightier in the middle sector to try and compensate for the speed deficit that they had in the opening and final sector. And then when you fast forward to the race, you look at the overall best sectors, Max Verstappen mighty in the final sector. He was up there in the top five in the first sector, although granted, when he had DRS, he wouldn't have been setting a fastest lap when he had DRS. So, you know, he was a few steps off there, but he was comfortably fastest in the middle sector again in the race. So the suggestion would be that not only is the Red Bull incredibly efficient with its aero, they had a great balance of setup where not only were they fast in a straight line, they were incredibly fast in the corners and arguably generating more downforce, and the tyre wear was impeccable. And I think with Max Verstappen in particular, his tyre wear skills and the way that he's able to manage his tyres is such an underrated skill. We often talk about Sir Lewis Hamilton, how good he is, although famously complaining on the radio to Bono saying his tyres are gone, when in actual fact he's actually doing an incredible job preserving them whilst being incredibly fast. Sergio Perez's teammate, also another driver that's very good at this, but it's something we don't often associate with Max Verstappen. And of course, we saw that in the opening stint, how good Max was on his tyres and Sergio Perez was on the mediums where Max was on the softs and Max ended up pitting after Sergio whilst overtaking other cars to get to the front it was remarkable to see so you know you've got all that data there and you can throw plenty of caveats to this and saying oh well Ferrari got their setup wrong um, the new technical directive that came in may have affected the other teams more than Red Bull it might not have affected Red Bull at all but given the improvements that Red Bull made relative to the competition where it seemed that only they actually made a step forward where everyone else is kind of relative to each other in, on the same wavelength at least. So there wasn't really much gained or lost there. It does feel that something might be going on. And I want to stress the word might be going on at Red Bull. That isn't quite right. Now, I'm not suggesting that they're rule breaking. 
the suggestion from Ferrari, at least, is they might be concerned that Red Bull aren't adhering to the budget cap or they're finding clever ways or mechanisms to spend beyond the budget cap but can get away with it to certain ends where they're not going to be punished when they're audited for their spending for this season. Now, the reason I bring that up, guys, and it's a bit of a monologue, so bear with me on this one um, as much as I've done already, is this is something that has been touted a lot this season. Which teams are going to fall foul of the budget cap? Are any Is anyone going to be punished by exceeding the, the cost cap on the budget cap? Are teams are going to have to abandon certain development programs because of um, expenses owing to crashes or other things or upgrade plans not quite working as they'd want to and they have to abandon them because they'll go over that cost cap. A lot of that has been said this season and it's something that has been thrown at Red Bull's way because they've mostly been known as high spenders. But Ferrari have obviously admitted already that this is something that they may not be able to understand or repeat themselves. Maybe Mercedes as well with their own problems. So all of that said, Lee, what are your thoughts regarding Red Bull's sudden gains at this particular circuit. Is this something that if we see other circuits to come, that it's something that might need to be looked into to see if it's legit what they're doing in terms of spending? Or is it just a case of Red Bull have managed to unlock some potential in this concept that nobody else can match because their concept is just inherently better than everybody else's is for the new regs? Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll split your answer into two parts here for you Adam and firstly I think on the spending cap I think oh if I recall Mauricio Bonotto said something about the upcoming developments that Rebel are planning to bring to the car one of them is a new lighter chassis and a chassis is a very expensive part of the car to develop build and bring especially under the the place of the um, the budget cut no teams will want to bring a new chassis mid-season um, so the fact that Rebel are planning to do it when they're already in such a healthy position and in the championship is raising the questions of where they're getting the money from when they bring all these other updates and they're developing next year's car and they're, where they're getting the money to do this or even the development time to bring in this um, new chassis, lighter chassis. So that's raised um, the Ferrari's eyes, uh, eyebrows, if they're metaphorical eyebrows anyway. But... Uh, I'm sure Ferrari will be pestering the FIA to investigate this. Ferrari are, are a big team. They have the clout. Like, they may not have the political clout that Toto Wolf has, where Toto really pushed for this um, technical directive that was implemented in Spa. But I'm sure Ferrari are already knocking on that door going, hang on, hang on, look at the, the finances. Something's not right. Um, so I'm very sure that's already going on. Um, and secondly, Red Bull, more actually, more Adrian Newey. I mean, he's a master. He's known for developing sweet cars and getting on top of it and understanding it before anybody else. So, if anyone is going to understand these new regulations the best, it's going to be Adrian Newey. If anyone's going to unlock some unknown potential in the car that he foresaw when he designed the original concept of the car a year ago, and go, if we can just get to this point and this unlocks this magic level. Well, I don't know. There's no magic level, but you know what I mean. And he's got that point that he's like, yes, this is what I wanted when I designed the, this con- concept of this car. It's going to be Adrian Newey. So I don't want to take anything away from Red Bull if they're designing a brilliant car and Adrian Newey's managed to get, they'll unlock the potential. 
then by all means well done on them for doing so yeah i mean it's quite a scary thought because we've heard obviously about the new chassis and monocoque design where they obviously want to make lighter versions of this which according to dr helmut marco was going to be worth around two to three tenths a lap as if red bull need any more performance gains on the composition considering where they seem to be right now again we have a very limited pool of data to go on so it could be track specific i mean max verstappen was asked about this very thing his opinion was that he thought the car was very efficient and that this track spa suited it perfectly he then went on to say that i know that some tracks which are coming up might be a little bit more difficult and i expect again a good battle with ferrari it was just this track that seemed to be perfect for our car the rocket ship as he referred to it as and i can totally understand that i mean red bull would know and max would know if the car felt different and again performance is relative because sometimes you might feel if you're a bit further down the pecking order that you're driving a much improved faster car and then when you look at the overall time sheets and you're actually no better if anything worse and it's almost like oh wow i thought we were driving a fast car turns out it's slow so it could be the opposite thing going on here and maybe everyone else got it wrong and red bull just got it so right we'll have to wait and see i mean the Dutch Grand Prix is going to be very interesting. Monza, of course, is going to be very interesting for those reasons. We're going to have a nice different blend of different characteristics where we'll go from a higher downforce to a lower downforce circuit. So we might get a better understanding as to where Red Bull currently sit. Are they now the fastest team in Formula 1? Do they have the best car uh, package altogether? Or is it just track specific? We'll have to wait and see. It's quite interesting. I think this is something that, as you mentioned already, Lee, Matty Bonotto, maybe Total Wolf and a few others might be um, lobbying at the FIA and F1 to have a look into. Because, of course, with this new TD that came in, I think the expectation was that Red Bull and Ferrari were going to be pegged back a little bit, which brings Mercedes closer to them. And if anything, based on what we've seen so far, it's well, it might have hindered some teams, but it hasn't hindered Red Bull. If anything, it's, it's stretched and elongated the advantage that they may have already had to levels that we only really saw at the height of Mercedes domination during the turbo hybrid era only a few years ago. And that's certainly not something that F1 and the FIA would want six months into a new regulation setting. Oh no, completely not. I mean, their horrible thought is, no, that's not horrible for if you're a Max or Red Bull fan, but for a neutral or any other fan, is this the beginning of Red Bull domination that come the new rules in 26 that Max is a five-time world champion? going into defending his title. I mean, it, it could easily happen that Red Bull's uh, got the perfect sweet spot and now we're in to, for another period of domination by a particular team. Mm. And, and it's one also that could necessarily, well, it may not necessarily be very easy to overhaul because of the cost cap. You know, yeah. we, may, we may end up with a scenario. Now, of course, if you're a Red Bull fan listening to this or a Max Verstappen fan, then absolutely enjoy it because right now your team and your drivers are sitting very, very pretty. And of course, if, Spa is, a, is um, a preview of what's to come for the remainder of this season. We could see all kinds of records being broken. I mean, Max Verstappen now was, uh, what's he won? The last three or four races in a row. He may very much eat up that record that Sebastian Vettel made, winning nine in a row in 2013. It does have a very similar vibe go uh, to that particular yeah. season. Something that we might see a repeat of. Oh yeah, very much so. So um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens from this again look we're not we're not suggesting here on this show that some of you listening in are probably li hearing us and thinking oh here we go they're just going on about another team here we've gone from mercedes to red bull we're still moaning about one team dominating now of course if one team is dominating 
then, you know, well done to them. It's up to everybody else to catch up. I think that was, it was very true when myself was enjoying it, growing up watching Ferrari dominate as it would be for a Mercedes fan enjoying Lewis Hamilton's domination um, in the last five or six years or so or beyond that, actually. So this could be the Max Verstappen era and we all just got to strap in and enjoy it for what it's worth. We don't know that yet. We'll have to wait and see. But certainly plenty to discuss and to go on with. Now, of course, we should talk about Ferrari, a team that had a lot to reflect and ponder on the summer break and not a lot of it would have been good to reflect on. A lot of lessons that would have needed to have been learned. As we saw at Spa, it didn't seem like Ferrari had learned a thing. It seemed like they'd just gone away, come back, and now they've got the added issue on top of the problems they've already created for themselves on strategy calls and mistakes and other things like that, that the car is no longer something that they can rely on as being the fastest on the grid and something that can get them out of trouble if they so find themselves in. So going into this race this weekend, Lee, a circuit that is much more catered for cars that have better downforce and good chassis underneath them, is this a good opportunity for Ferrari to try and respond and no less at the home of the current world champion? I mean, it's a very good opportunity if Ferrari can pull their act together to respond. The question is if they will pull their act together. Um, and I don't mean that just from operationally or reliability. I think it's now get up to the point with, especially more Charles than Carlos, that the relationship is broken between the team and driver. And I think that causes a lot more problems than the operational and the reliability of the, the car that Charles doesn't trust the team's decisions, doesn't trust that they're going to make the right choice or the right strategy call or the and questioning. And it, it, it's a potential downward spiral. Um, well, it could be a potential downward spiral. And I hate to see it um, happening. Now, if Charles goes in the, the spiral through the rest of the season of well, why for I know why doing or what it's, such to be such a shame to see if that does actually happen. Well, it feels like Charles in particular is often second guessing what Ferrari wants him to do. Yeah. I mean, in the last race at Spa, they were asking him what they wanted to do. It was like watching an episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and Charles yeah. is sat in the hot seat and they're giving him four options like which one, A, B, C, or D, what do you want to do? And it's almost like, well, who's driving and who's conducting the race strategy here? Because right now you've got Charles Leclerc trying to recover in the same way that Max Verstappen was to recover a good result from a difficult starting position owing to some grid penalties. Now, of course, Charles was driving a very good car, but by no means was he driving the rocket ship that Max Verstappen was driving. And of course, right now, he's not driving as well as Max Verstappen. I think we can honestly admit that he's not. And as a result, you've got a team second-guessing itself, not really confident on the decisions being made, and a driver that is very much in a position right now where he's not confident to make those decisions himself in the way that Carlos Sainz, his teammate, has been doing. And he's relying on his team for help. And all of the options that the team are providing him, he's second-guessing them because he doesn't trust that they're the right decision to go down. I mean, he was doing that halfway through the race when they said, oh, yeah. put on the hard tyres, you'll recover to P5, you'll be faster in the middle stint. And he was like, why do we need to pit right now into traffic? We don't need to do that. And then, of course, on the final lap, when they wanted him to try and get the fastest lap, he didn't want to do it because he wasn't confident with the buffer to Alonso. They asked him to come in anyway. He did that. Not only did he have to re-overtake Alonso, but because of all the frustration and everything else that's going on, he ends up speeding in the pit lane by one kilometre an hour. Now, of course, apparently the P5 
pit speed limiter was damaged a little bit by that tear-off that affected Charles early in the race, which, of course, compromised his race to no end already. But it's just another sign right now that nothing is going right for Ferrari. The body language is very downbeat. Matti Bonotto, for some reason, is still in denial that there is a problem in what's going on at Ferrari. Now, look, I, I understand that Ferrari, obviously, they don't they have this kind of doctrine where you don't talk foul of Ferrari or you don't try to play the blame game in public or you don't try to acknowledge that there's an issue and pretend like nothing's wrong. But we're at this point now where Ferrari, you know, even by their own admission, now need Max Verstappen to retire in several races for them to claw back either of the two championships. And now Sergio Perez is ahead of Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz as well in the Drivers' Championship. So it's an absolute mess right now. And until Ferrari really start to deal with the root issue here, or at least acknowledge that there is a problem, I just can't see how it's going to get better and better. And right now you've got Charles Leclerc, arguably one of the best drivers on the grid and one of the best drivers of his generation, falling more and more out of love with Ferrari to the point where they are at risk of potentially driving him away in the future if they don't sort this out. Yeah, I, well, I wouldn't be surprised if this carries on over a long term that Charles does walk away because I think, as already proven, Carlos is quite comfortable to make decisions himself. He has confidence in his ability and his decision-making that for a team that can't decide to do the, what's the best strategy, Carlos will make that decision for himself and, and do it and he will end up leading this team because Charles is just not going to be in a comfortable sweet spot within the team. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously talking to Carlos Sainz, while some people saying, well, Carlos Sainz's race was a little bit more easy to manage, it wasn't, it wasn't, because clearly as a result of the setup choice that Ferrari made, tyre wear was a big factor. Temperatures were hotter on Sunday than they were on Saturday, which really hindered Ferrari's tyre management to a point where Carlos was at risk of losing a podium to George Russell. And the only thing I can say was the fact that he drove pretty well to the point where he was able to manage it and stay ahead of Russell towards the end. You could argue with Sir Lewis Hamilton hadn't retired early in the race, he would have been in that position to try and fight him and maybe get him for a podium spot because the Mercedes was clearly capable of passing the Ferrari in the straights as Russell demonstrated on Charles Leclerc earlier in that Grand Prix. So it's crazy right now. I'm not sure what Ferrari can do to fix this in the short term if they're refusing to acknowledge that there's a problem at play here and it doesn't feel like that they're improving whatsoever. I'm kind of at a loss with them right now. I'm not really sure what I can say to try and shed some light. All I can say is, well, there's another Grand Prix and another opportunity for them to get it right. But they seem to find newer and more interesting ways than previous to mess up their own races. Um, On a side note, on Charles Leclerc, we should mention... Anthony Davidson during free practice on Friday for Sky F1. Anthony Davidson, former Formula One driver with Honda and Super Guri, also uh, works at Mercedes as one of their test and development drivers and is one of Sky Sports F1's leading pundit. For the benefit of those of you who don't know who he is, on commentary, he referred to Charles Leclerc as one of the fastest drivers on the grid, one of the best drivers on the grid, but ultimately unreliable. I kind of agree with that assessment of Leclerc because I feel that whilst Leclerc is as already mentioned a brilliant driver a driver that definitely you'd want to have in a championship fight ultimately what separates him from the all-time greats and the leading drivers in the field right now your Verstappen's your Hamilton's even your Alonso's and Vettel at once upon a time 
is that they need to be consistent over the course of the season. And more so lately than before, we are seeing minor mistakes and minor errors creep into his driving, whether it's, uh, as I said, speeding in the pit lane, the mistake he made in France, the mistake he made in free practice on Friday, which he does make a lot more often than he should. I mean, they all make mistakes, but it always seems to be him making a mistake every other week. I kind of understand where he's coming from. So I don't feel that some people that were kind of attacking Anthony Davidson on his opinion of Leclerc, thinking it was too harsh, I don't think... That's really a fair take on it. I think he's spot on. What about you, Lee? How do you feel about Charles Leclerc? Is he ultimately unreliable in a championship fight, or is that a little bit harsh? No, I would probably agree with that assessment that he's unreliable in a championship fight. Consistency is something that the drivers learn, and I don't believe Charles has got to that point of being able to deliver a consistent performance, especially in a championship fight. But other drivers have learned it. You look back at, Max, um, I think it's four or five years ago where he was very much crushed up and you crash into everything when he tried to overtake or crash into someone trying to overtake or crash in the wall because he was pushing the limits. And he's now learned the consistency of the best way to overtake, the best place not to crash the car, obviously, where he's best he can p- push to the limits of the track um, without taking taking too much. Or he, even Sirius Lewis Hamilton, I remember the 2011 way. He'd love to connect with the back of Felipe Massa's car with his front wing. There was, if I like every other race, that to Lewis consistently <laughs> kept making contact with Felipe Massa. Um, so the the drivers out of the greats you know, still have to learn that consistency. They're not just born with it. That's something they learn. And Charles needs to learn that to to make that next step up, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. I think that's a fair point to be made. Um, let's move on to Mercedes. And as a bit of a side note for Mercedes, it's not directly from them, but Dr. Helmut Marco, the most wonderful, benevolent man in the Formula One paddock, of course, if you can't tell I'm being sarcastic, has decided to once again open his mouth and share his wonderful opinions with the F1 paddock. And based on his assessment of the Belgian Grand Prix, and this was a quote from him from Lewing Spa regarding the new floor guidelines, he wanted to personally thank Toto Wolf on his own new guideline, guideline saying that they worked very well this weekend and we thank him. It seems that Mercedes have fallen back even further. And he had a lot to say about Checo Perez and his position as a number two driver in the team. Now, of course, I've got no problem with um, this talk about a number one and number two in the team. I think it's how you win championships and I think Checo Perez is playing a brilliant role in the team at the moment for Max Verstappen. And of course, you know, up to a point, you can have the opportunities to challenge, but I think we all know that Red Bull is definitely Max's team. But on the subject of Mercedes, Lee, based on that quote from Dr. Helmut Marco on what he referred to as Toto's new guidelines, do you think Mercedes will be very disappointed following their efforts at Spa, where ultimately they may have been banking on them getting a potential win at that weekend's Grand Prix? Not only were they a long way off Red Bull, probably more, probably couldn't have been more further away from them than they had been at any point this season, perhaps with the exclusion of the Bahrain Grand Prix at the start. And they lost ground to Ferrari at a time where they had been making some gains. Yeah, I mean, I think Mercedes left Spa being very confused and they're going to be coming to this weekend still being confused 
because the amount of time to go to analyze the the data they brought a raft of updates to Spar as well and with the second directive or what they understood of the other team's cars i'm sure they expected to have a a podium um be fighting for pole and that didn't happen and that I think the engineers are scratching their heads to why the car didn't deliver that. Um, so I really think that, especially come um, P1, P2 this weekend, the Mercedes is going to be trying some really different setups to try and understand the updates, understand the car, um, understand the technical directive, right? The technical directive may not have impacted them as much as other teams, but something's not quite worked with them at Spa and they need to understand what why it didn't work for them to really fix their issue and move forward yeah I mean I kind of put this question to Courtney during the review and I feel like it's one that we should ask at this point of the season now where Mercedes obviously this was a bit of a roll of the dice now I'm not suggesting of course that you know this was Toto's new guideline although I do believe that Toto Wolf had a big part to play in getting this technical directive put through because it provided an opportunity for the FIA in their own minds to try and close up the field. And ultimately, he hasn't done that as of yet. So with the issues that Mercedes seems to be having with their current concept, of course, the car seems to be very, very draggy, despite the fact that it has next to no side pods whatsoever, which is a bit of a marvel in its own right. Tire wear from one circuit to another is either really good or really bad. They're not really on top of it yet. And for whatever reason, they just can't seem to unlock the full potential of this car by their own admission. So with all that being said, is it now time for Mercedes to kind of take a very pragmatic approach to 2023 and assess where they are and the likelihood for them to beat Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship? And more importantly, how insignificant is it for them to get second in the Constructors' Championship um, in in terms of trying to decide whether or not to prioritise next season's car? Because I can't help but feel now that you know, we talked last year about Ferrari being absolutely nowhere near Red Bull Mercedes and obviously putting their eggs in the 2022 basket. And from the early part of the season, it did seem to be a stroke of genius. Should Mercedes be looking at their current situation thinking, perhaps we need to do this and allocate the resource and time that we have to develop next year's car, not necessarily go with a different concept. They could revolutionize the current one that they have to a degree where it works better for them and just try to do a better job next season, but especially given how dominant Red Bull appears to be right now. Yeah, I think the question needs to be asked, definitely about putting their resources to, towards next year's car. However, because the rule change doesn't change that much, it's only the 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 floor, the lip of the floor that is different, and the choke for the... Um, the def- not the... Def- yeah, for the diffuser, mm. the the gap is the only things that really change. The rest of that is the car is generally the same. They're not changing wings or anything like that. So a lot of what they can apply to the car uh, this year still will carry over. So obviously Mercedes don't understand their car. So the more work they do on this year's car means that hopefully they can understand their car to rectify it in next year's car. Because the problem if they move to next year's car, without knowing what's the cause and issues of this year's car, they could easily design the same issues into the next year's car. So Mercedes, although we should raise the question, if they don't know what the issue is to fix it, they can repeat the same mistake next year, which obviously they don't want to do. 
And if they abandon the concept, which there's been another, obviously another question asked throughout the season, they're going to be a year behind Red Bull and Ferrari. And that will take a year or two to catch up, which they don't want to do to for the development curve. Obviously, after a few years, the potential gains on it. But um, it, it all looks very uh, unpleasant for Mercedes at the moment. And actually, where they, if they can catch up next year or if they abandon and catch up in three or four years and it's really look, oh, okay, we're going to have to look for 26. That's, that's, that's unfortunately how it, it may be starting to look for them. Yeah, I mean, given that a lot of people thought Mercedes may have an opportunity to win the Belgian Grand Prix, myself included, given what was going to happen, do you feel that they may have missed their best chance to win a Grand Prix in 2022? If if you go going to the weekend with all the expectations that Mercedes had and what the wider F1 community had, and then with the knowledge of Charles and Max having penalties, yeah, I think that that's probably been their best chance to to win um, this season because they only they've had some good races and they've got they haven't had many podiums on merit. They've had to rely on Red Bull, Ferrari messing up to for Mercedes to get the podium. And having those two top drivers not on the, well, theoretically not on the podium because they were going to be with their penalties, it, it should have been a, an open goal for Mercedes to try and get their first victory. And obviously it didn't happen. The car was nowhere where they expected it. And I don't think they'll get an open goal like that again this season. Yeah, I mean, I was fairly confident that Mercedes would definitely be in the, the fight. I don't think any of us could foresee how mighty Red Bull were going to be. It would make it would be quite interesting. Even qualifying when Signs and Perez were fighting each other, they were, obviously Verstappen was Verstappen, and you know he seemed like he was in a league of his own. But this did seem to be the hope that if Sir Lewis Hamilton and George Russell had managed to get decent starts, and you know Sir Lewis obviously not retiring after that one with his incident with Fernando Alonso, that maybe he would have been in the fight. But ultimately, they in reality they were absolutely nowhere near it. It was quite surprising how far away they are. So. Perhaps open goals a little bit harsh, but on this before you know a wheel was turned, it did seem like a very very good opportunity for them to get that result. I want to ask your thoughts on the incident with Sir Lewis and Fernando Alonso. Of course, it got rather spicy with a war of words between Fernando and basically Lewis not acknowledging that. Of course, in the heat of the moment, things are going to be said. I don't think Fernando really believes that or feels that way towards Sir Lewis. I'm sure there's a level of respect there between the two, despite their obvious history in the past. How did you see that incident? Do you think Sir Lewis was right to acknowledge that it was his fault? Or do you feel that perhaps uh, there was a bit more to it on Fernando's side than it seemed? Uh, my my initial reaction was both drivers could have done better. Um, I Out of the two, I think it's probably more Lewis's fault if you're going to assign blame to a specific driver. Because um, Lewis clearly didn't leave um, Fernando enough room when he turned into the corner. However, Fernando is Fernando. And he'll do everything he can to not lose a position. Fernando has a history with Sir Lewis and is not openly his uh, biggest fan. So it's just like he's being difficult and he's... I'm not saying Fernando had to go off the track to avoid a collision, but they probably um, could have obviously not just uh, let uh, Sir Lewis go by because that's obviously not racing. But I just feel he probably could have done a bit more to avoid the collision, but it was Lewis not giving him enough room in the first place that um, 
cause a collision. I mean, Fernando did make a point of after the race about similarities that Lewis and Nico have had in the past when they crashed in that similar corner. So, and admittedly, that was has been Lewis overtaking Nico or Nico overtaking Lewis. So it's it does have a Lewis does have a crash record with that corner in overtaking. So yeah, it maybe is just one of Lewis's weak corners, just as a potential thought. Yeah, I mean, I I I mean, I totally understand that, and I agreed with Lewis's assessment on it. I thought it was his mistake. Fernando didn't really have anywhere to go. I mean, we yeah. should remember, of course, that the rules of overtaking have changed this season in terms of what the FIA deem as um, safe and aggressive racing, off uh, hard and fair racing. Really, their assessment of it is if they're the car around the outside is ahead at the apex. Which, in fairness to Lewis, he was going into the apex first that he's warranted racing room and in his own mind he probably felt he was right to be there he just obviously didn't anticipate that fernando was where he was and that fernando had nowhere to go so obviously the onus was actually on the guy on the outside to avoid a collision ultimately on this occasion that didn't happen and you know lewis acknowledged that and that's absolutely fine i do sometimes feel like when these incidents happen and you know, look, it's Fernando Alonso. The guy's going to say certain things that some people who agree with. I remember when I first saw the, the radio quote, I kind of had my hands in my mouth and one of those, like, it was amusing, but also one of those where I thought, oh, this one might bring a bit of drama. And look, Sir Lewis knows the game like everyone else. Like, a lot of these things can be taken out of context or said in the heat of the moment. He's not going to pay attention to it because he's not interested in that. He just rises above it, as he often does. That's the sort of person that he is. And I don't think Fernando's going to care too much for it either. I think he was too busy laughing at Ferrari, cocking up another strategy uh, mistake, as they often do week by week these days. So I feel like most of the, the sort of backlash from this was because of some media outlets trying to constantly rehash this story over and over again for clicks and views and almost to trigger one fan base or another really to go against each other. That seems to be the way of social media. Unfortunately, there will be those that will see those comments and literally will do exactly what they want them to do to get them to talk about it on on social media or on their own podcast like we are. So obviously they're achieving what their desired outcome is. So uh it's one of those I feel like sometimes you just have to kind of look, enjoy it for what it is. Both drivers are okay. Nothing more is said of it, and that's it, and just move on. That's all you can really say about it. So, uh, yeah, if, if you feel that way inclined and you're listening to this show, then, uh, yeah, just enjoy it for what it is. Don't really pay too much attention to it like the drivers seem to do, and just move on to the next one, really. I don't think we need to keep bringing up 2007 just to spite one driver or the other or anything else since then. So uh, that's a little bit of a pet peeve off my chest, really. But then that's some thought. That's modern day sport for you when it comes to social media. Let's talk about Alpine and McLaren Lee. Now, of course, you know, going into the summer break, there wasn't much to separate them going into this race. In the Belgian Grand Prix, Alpine would have been delighted after what had seemed a very tumultuous period with the Oscar Piastri and Fernando Alonso situations going on, much to their own detriment, of course. Alpine got a huge chunk of points. Fernando Alonso P5, Ocon P7, McLaren not scoring a single point. So going into this Dutch Grand Prix, the momentum has surely got to be back with Alpine now for the second half of the season. What are your thoughts for this weekend's race between those two teams? Can McLaren respond? And how significant is an immediate response going to be from them? Well, 
McLaren should respond. They need to respond because the, but I've got a feeling that Alpine will um, outscore McLaren this weekend. That's just my gut feeling. I can't explain why. It's just, I think that Alpine had the momentum. They've got the development and McLaren seems a bit lost at the moment with the car. The drivers have both stated they're not comfortable. One is more so than the other. Daniel's now come to an agreement after being kicked out of the team. So, well, he, you could say that old oh, drivers drive under stress and um, duress, don't drive well. But I don't think that was the issue causing Daniel. Daniel now is like, okay, I'll just spit out the season, don't really care. Uh, do what I, I do my race and enjoy my race and whatnot. So he's not going to potentially deliver his best, not that he has been, unfortunately. So I just think it's going to be a bit of a downward spiral from McLaren for the rest of the season. Which is a shame to shame to see. Obviously, they may hope for some glory at Monza, but I don't think that's this year's car. Well, this is it. I mean, if they're trying to get fourth place in the constructors' championship, which I think a lot of us watching McLaren this season before wheel was turned would have predicted that they would try and go for. At least that would be the height of their expectations, given the infrastructure that they have relative to the likes of Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes. By comparison, it's almost chalk and cheese at this point. It's going to be very difficult for McLaren to kind of get over this ish, this problem that they're having right now with the car and obviously the issue with their drivers right now. They're not quite sure who's going to be driving that second McLaren in 2023. And they've got a driver in Daniel Ricciardo right now who not only doesn't know where he's going to be next season, if he's going to be at Formula One next season... But after that, such a public announcement and obviously the response that followed from comments that Zach Brown had made about Daniel referring to his work ethic where he just obviously never felt confident that Daniel was ever going to overcome this because of that lack of work ethic, you know, to paraphrase what he was saying and his assessment of him. It does feel like Daniel right now is very disillusioned with what's going on with McLaren. It almost feels like a driver that isn't really interested in what's going on with his team and doesn't really want to see out the remaining period of his contract in the same way that someone like Fernando Alonso feels. And it's a very strange dynamic there because that's what you end up having. You end up with two teams in similar situations regarding their driver lineups for next season for different reasons, of course. But one driver is very much interested in just doing the best job that he can before he moves on to his next team versus a driver that right now there is a fear that a driver that was already struggling may struggle even more because his heart's just no longer in it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's my fear for Daniel, um, that he's just going to struggle. And unfortunately, I really don't want to lose him from the sport. But other, all the other remaining seats are now being talked about with other potential candidates. And although Daniel's saying he's getting calls, it could look, we have no Daniel next year, which I think will be horrible. But his heart's just not going to be in driving for the McLaren for the rest of the season. No, and would it be elsewhere? I mean, the options that are available right now seem to be Alpine, Alpha Tauri at a stretch, depending on what happens there, of course, and most likely Williams as well. I mean, if you're Daniel Ricciardo, do you really want to drive for any of those teams? I mean, perhaps Alpine if it was available, but I can flip that and ask you the question, Lee, that if you were a team boss at one of those teams, would you really take Daniel Ricciardo on based on what we've seen in the last few years where he's not really been able to recapture what made him so special at Red Bull. Yeah, the... He still would be a good, solid driver for a backfield team, back marketing, be it Hassel Williams. But 
I don't think Daniel wants to drive at the back of the grid to make numbers, similar to how Sebastian Vettel has made it quite clear that he doesn't drive around to make up the numbers. And although Daniel is such a popular driver in the sport, obviously the second most um, popular driver in the sport, I just don't really see him keeping a seat in the grid, which is just a, a thing. I, I think Pierre will go to Alpine. And that's what I've said from earlier on in the season. And that closes that door. And that's the only really competitive seat left. And yeah, so that's just unfortunate where I see McLaren Daniel season is just going to spiral a bit, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. I agree with that one. I'm a little bit worried about Daniel. Hopefully he can find that something that he and like very few around him can actually pull together in order to get some good results because McLaren will need that for yeah. this season, regardless of whether he's going to be in that car next season. We know he's not actually, but um they really do need him to pull it together because right now Lando Norris is fighting against two Alpines on his own and you'd have to argue that he's also in an inferior car right now and the Alpine is going from strength to strength as they have done all season long. So will be an interesting battle to say the least going towards the second half of the season. Let's move on to some of the other stories in the midfield. Now, um, we've got Alfa Romeo, of course, sitting quite pretty in P6 in the Constructors' Championship, 17 points ahead of Haas. And despite all of that, Alfa Romeo, one weekend they might look okay on the fringes of points. Another weekend, like we had last weekend, they're absolutely nowhere. Valtteri Bottas, of course, starting in P13, despite the fact that he had uh, started qualified 20th, had a 30-place grid drop, ended up in P13. That's F1 for you, I suppose. And ultimately, he he ended up going out of the race because of a mis- avoiding crashing into Nicholas Latifi. Of course, we should mention that he almost took out Max Verstappen in all of that chaos. So, uh, you know, well done to Max for avoiding that and going on to win the Grand Prix, as he said he'd have to. So quite an interesting moment there. But right now, they do seem to be in a bit of no man's land. They ain't got to worry about those ahead of them. And those behind them, they're only going to be picking up a few points here and there. So there is a bit of a cushion to their immediate rivals. And of course, let's not forget the news about Audi buying into the team. So it's very easy to be distracted at Alfa Romeo by what's sort of going on around you rather than what's actually happening in the team. What are our thoughts for them this weekend, Lee? Do you feel that they need to sort of get their act together? Or is it, is it just one of those really that they're just going to mellow on for the rest of the season and no one really will pay attention? The Audi needs to get their act together. Um, but I've got a thing they've already switched off to next year's development. Um, and I think they're just going to mellow around for the rest of the season, unfortunately. No, I think that's a fair point. I mean, hopefully Bottas and Joe Guan Yu will have better races this weekend because Joe did a good job, but there was only so much that he could do in that car. And Bottas, obviously, we never really got to see what he could do. Unfortunately, he was just caught up in the uh, aftermath of avoiding Latifi's spin and then ended up causing himself to retire as a result. So we've got Haas, Alpha Tauri and Aston Martin right now. Not much to separate the three of them. It's all up for grabs for P7 in the Constructors' Championship. And Aston Martin do seem to be the team in form. Both of their drivers on a regular basis scoring points. It's a car that seems to be better in the race than in qualifying. And then we've got Alpha Tauri, Pierre Gasly picking up the team's first points for six races. And I must say, it was one of the better performances we've seen from Pierre Gasly in some time. It's crazy to think of him as being a driver that's out of form and seems to be forgotten, but he very much reaffirmed himself in the pecking order. So going into this race this weekend, Lee, 
I imagine it's going to be quite important for Alpha Tauri to try and ride that momentum a bit more and continue to pick up some points. Yeah, I think with with Pierre, I think he's got a bit of a sniff of getting out from the Red Bull family, going to Alpine. And that's given him some motivation that he's lost this year. And I think he's now like, yes, yes, I need to. I'm enjoying driving again. I'm going to get out of, I'm hoping you can get out of Alpha Tauri. I'm going to get into a manufacturer's team. I'm going, I'm going to get something that's just reignited something that switched off this year. And so I expect Pierre to be all guns blazing this weekend. Um, And the Aston Martins have been impressing uh, as of late as well. I do agree on that one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously you're correct that it was Vettel that scored points. Stroll, obviously P11, unfortunately, so he just missed out. Uh, But they have been very, very good in race trim, Aston Martin. Their qualifying performance has been less than to be desired, but they are making progress. And I think that's what the team would want. P7 in the Constructors' Championship, considering where they were earlier, would be a huge milestone. Maybe if they're lucky, they might be able to overhaul Alfa Romeo as well. They will have to wait and see how that goes. Plenty of racing to go there. So out of those teams, those two in particular, who do you think is going to have the upper end, upper hand this weekend? Alpha Tauri or Aston Martin? Let's not forget, of course, Yuki Tsunoda really needs to try and up his game as well. But very unlucky to have to start from the pits, which kind of ruined his race. I think Alpha Tauri is going to have the upper hand this weekend. I think Pierre's going to be all guns blazing this weekend. And he's just, with that Honda engine, he's just going to be, a, he's just going to be in a sweet spot. I mean, if the seat becomes available at Alpine to Pierre Gasly, I mean, how likely is that? Because... There's always been a reported history between himself and Ocon back to the karting days, one of which which has never really gone away. These frustrations or dislike that they seem to have for each other, not that we've seen it in public, but there always is that reported disdain for one another. If Alpine were to go down that route with Gasly and, and Red Bull and AlphaTauri seem quite open to allowing him to leave if the opportunity comes, can you see that working, Alpine? Because we're going to get a dynamic with two drivers fighting for number one status that don't like each other reportedly. Surely that's a recipe for chaos at a team that kind of needs a bit of balance about it. Well, I'm sure Pierre thinks he can beat Esteban, so he's not concerned about that. I'm sure Esteban concerned he can beat Pierre. Um, but yeah, you're right that the team needs stability. But at the same time, having two competitive drivers can push the team forward. You look a bit how Nico and Lewis in the early days were in the 2013 more than 2014, but they were pushing Mercedes forward because of their their rivalry that then obviously when nearly probably spilled into a real hatred by the time they're fighting for championships. But that rivalry of I need to better and better and better their team push the drivers push further. They want their setup perfect because they want to beat their teammate more than anybody else because they just dislike the drivers so much. So it could help Alpine take that step forward, having two drivers that dislike each other. It won't be very mm. great in the championship, but driving um, to try and catch up to the front, it may it may be on a positive side. Well, I'm just sort of thinking back to Racing Point. Esteban Ocon was a part of that, you know, with his teammate fighting for supremacy in a competitive car, the fourth fastest car at the time, and obviously chucking away big points fighting with his teammate yep. Sergio Perez then. Who was the team principal then? Otmar Zafna. <laughs> so forgive me for being so bold about this, but uh, the recipes are there for the reincarnation of that, but it's now in a blue car rather than a pink one. 
and it could get very fiery if Pierre Gasly, I mean, for what it's worth, I think he probably is the favourite to drive that car next season. If it's not Oscar Piastri or possibly Daniel Ricciardo, we'll have to wait and see. Of course, the latest that we know of that ongoing situation with Piastri and Alpine and McLaren is the contract review board or whatever they're called had met to discuss this. We haven't seen the findings of their investigation or what they believe to be the outcome. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. It might come out before Thursday when this podcast goes live. So of course, bear with us, of course, if it does go live before that, you have to forgive us for not being up to date with that, unfortunately. So uh, quite an interesting dynamic going on in that team. Oh yeah, I mean the the big curveball um, would be that Oscar has to drive for um, has to stay with Alpine. I mean, what will McLaren do? It's very much got a similar situation to uh, what was it, Ericsson and Guido van Bergard, was it at yeah. uh, Sauber? Well, Sauber so long ago, yeah. The old blue Sauber that was a very interesting scenario there, where Guido just kept turning up to the races. I think it was saying that uh, it was his seat, and it was very very strange stuff going on there. Anyway, let's talk about Haas. Now, of course, Haas are the third team in this three-way fight between AlphaTauri and Aston Martin. And whilst they currently occupy P7, their form has dipped. They had their upgraded car for both their drivers at the Belgian Grand Prix. And as it were, both of them were a lap down in P16 and P17. Alarming signs for the team right now. And there doesn't seem to be a plan of trying to improve their current situation. They're just going to have to deal with the package that they have. So with all that said, Lee, how confident are you that Haas can hold on to P7? And what are, they, your prospect, what are their prospects for this weekend? I, mean, I don't think Haas will hold on to P7, unfortunately. Um, I think they're going to be outdeveloped for the rest of the season. Um, I do think that they're going to be probably end up being a lap down again this weekend as well. It's just... I think then now after the now upgraded car, they're going to switch next year. They're not going to bring any more developments to this car. The first development this year has been last weekend. So not going to bring another one this season. I think they're going to lose their, their P7 and they're not going to be able to stay in that fight. Yeah, I mean, what worked for them so well this season is that they had so much time to work the content that they had compared to the others who were bringing upgrades all of the time that they could refine their cars to a point where they understood them so well and could get the yeah. max out of them, where others struggled from week to week because of the variances of variations of their car that they had through upgrades and development that Haas just simply didn't have because of the lack of budget that they had available to them. So there's almost a little bit of hope that they could repeat that process with this new car, but how much time they have to learn these upgrades and how effective they're going to be is a different question. And it does leave them in a vulnerable position where you could argue that they missed their opportunity early in the season to pick up more points when they could have done, which could hurt them in this championship. I do want to talk as well about Mick Schumacher. There is a lot of talk going on about his future and the news came out today that his, well, it's not been confirmed by Ferrari at this point of recording, but it does look like that his time with the Ferrari Driver Academy is coming to an end at the end of the 2022 season. And as a result, makes him a free agent where other teams can approach him without having to go through Ferrari for his services or loan them, if you like. And Alpine, obviously, have mentioned that they're aware of Mick Schumacher. Alpha Tauri have obviously kept an interest in him. Dr. Helmut Marco personally mentioned Mick Schumacher as a driver that Al- uh, Alpha Tauri are keeping an eye on if things happen elsewhere, i.e. Pierre Gasly. And, of course, Williams have also kept an eye on him as well, and as I'm sure they'd be keeping an eye on a lot of drivers like that. So, 
Right now, Lee, how attractive a prospect is Mick Schumacher to teams, for example, like Alpine, AlphaTauri and Williams? Do you really see him slotting in at any of those places? Well, if you recall a few um, weeks ago, I said that Mick would be leaving Ferrari Driver Academy and it's looking very likely he will now be. And I said that I wouldn't be surprised if he Mercedes sweep him up and he ends up driving for Williams. Not sure about the Mercedes thing, but I still think he'd be end up driving for Williams as he's a replace um, Latifi, bringing the German sponsorship into the team. Yeah, that's very, very true. I mean, it does feel like a decision that Mick himself has made with his own management to try and break away from that security blanket that Ferrari have provided him for some time, of course. The Ferrari situation right now is one where Mick Schumacher is not doing good enough right now to put Ferrari in a position where they kind of have to consider him in the next few years to replace one of either Leclerc or Carlos Sainz. And Ferrari right now have two drivers that aren't much older than Mick Schumacher, where they obviously want to invest their future in right now. And obviously there are plenty of other attractive options available should they need it. So I think it's a brave move for him. But I think it's the right one. Whether that pays dividends to him this season, I don't know. It might have been one where perhaps he could have waited another year and used that Ferrari connection to stay with Huss. Whether that would have worked or not, I don't know. Because Huss, of course, have made no secret of the fact that whilst they like Mick Schumacher, they have been looking at other drivers, one of which Antonio Giovinazzi, who is still on the books at Ferrari. Yeah, I mean, and Antonio, unfortunately, wasn't the fastest driver. Um, but from a Ferrari side, they would love to find an up. Um, I know Antonio is not an up and coming talent, but they would love to find an up and coming Italian talent so they can stick in their Ferrari in a few years. Be like, yes, we've got an Italian driver. We haven't had a um, Italian driver in Ferrari thing since um, Fisichella when he drove for Ferrari. Mm, yeah, and I'd had to. I was just trying to think of who that was actually, but that's a really good shout, um, um, Fizzy, and of course Luca Badawer as well. Yeah. Not forgetting him. So obviously, I don't expect um, he he to end up in Ferrari because he's he's unfortunately he's not on that um, school set. But he has those connections, um, and Ferrari obviously have those connections with Hass. So I wouldn't be surprised if he he does potentially get pulled in if Daniel does want to take up the serve driving for Hass. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Um, Williams, of course, back of the grid, but by no means. Staying there, Alex Albon doing a mega job finishing in the top 10, qualifying, of course, sixth fastest overall in quality. Well, that's where he started, at least in Belgium. Of course, you know, there are lots of caveats with engine penalties and stuff like that for half the grid in that race. So it was still a great weekend for Alex Albon, cementing why it was great that he came back to Formula 1, really showing his pace and showing his quality. I guess the question, once again, is can he do it again for Williams at the Dutch Grand Prix? And... Again, Lee, this is a driver that a lot of teams, I'd be very surprised if they weren't keeping an eye on him because there are some opportunities there. I don't know how ironclad this contract is with Williams that he's just signed to stay on in the medium term. But long term, some of these teams have got to be keeping an eye on Alex Albon. Yeah, oh well, the the big team looking at Alex Albon is Red Bull. I mean, they've they've severed severed their links for the pe- for the people listening to this. I, I did the um, 
quotation marks. Yeah, for the benefit <laughs> of the audio listeners, yeah. Lee's doing the yeah. quotation marks in terms of to sort of emphasize severed. But, yeah, uh, so there yeah. there is a very strong Red Bull link to Alex still. Um, he, obviously, he's got a sponsorship that he has on his helmet. Um, obviously, Red Bull never closed the kind of links, but they had to sever their links for for him to drive for Williams because that was what Toto requested being the, the Mercedes uh, being the engine supplier. But being a tyre driver and Red Bull being uh, predominantly tyre owned, the ownership of Red Bull would still very much love to have a tyre driver in Red Bull. So I think if any drivers in the come teams in the come knocking for Alex in the future, it's going to be Red Bull. So they're definitely watching his progress and developments, letting him grow at the back. And then he's leading Williams. He's doing an amazing job. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I'm really enjoying seeing what Alex has been doing this season. I think it's something that has by and large gone under the radar, but he's always most races. He's always in those positions where he's fighting on the fringes. He doesn't make many mistakes. Yes, he's enjoying his time at Williams. Perhaps the pressure's off a little bit, but it's very reminiscent of that first season when he was Alpha Tauri, doing a great job there. Obviously got the promotion at Red Bull. Didn't work out on this occasion, but then like Checo Perez, if you keep going and keep fighting at it and come back better, there's always going to be more than one opportunity at a big team. And maybe in the future, they may well be for Alex Albon. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes down. Definitely a driver, I think, some of the bigger teams, even in the midfield like Alpine or McLaren. I know McLaren obviously got their eggs in the piastri basket if that works out but if it doesn't maybe albon is a driver they might consider looking into amongst others of course lee let's do the predictions of course for those of you that don't know what the predictions are for us we go through our predicted top three for the weekend's race and a very bold prediction as well so lee it's just the two of us this evening i'm going to let you go first what's your top three going to be this weekend and can you give me a bold prediction as well Okay, um, top three, I reckon, would be Max, Sergio, and Carlos. And the bold prediction is Ferrari mess up putting a tyre on Charles's car. Is that really bold? Oh, I feel, okay, I, I was just going to... I feel like if there's a bingo card for Ferrari's strategy <laughs> mistakes, that's one of the boxes that hasn't yet been crossed, and we're sort of waiting with the bingo pen to hover over it. But uh, Oh, yeah, that's one of the, that was literally what I was thinking and going for, <laughs> but I can, I can think of an, another um, one for you. Um, you do your predictions, and I can, I can do my... Yeah, we don't want to have dead air for too long. Bold. Yeah, nope. probably a good idea. Um, okay, so my top three... Are, well, I'm going with Max to win... At his home Grand Prix. I'm going to go with Leclerc P2. I think Ferrari are going to be better suited to this circuit. I'm kind of being optimistic and hoping that the upgrades that Red Bull put on or the, the gulf that they seem to have found between the competition and themselves was just at this circuit in particular. Or at the very least, it's mitigated at this circuit because it's a lot easier to set up the car here than it is at other circuits. Incidentally, of course, we should mention that they are looking to increase the um, or change the DRS zone before the final corner. So it's going to be used over that bank, which is quite a hallmark to how hesitant and how reluctant that the F1 and the FIA used to be on where to put the DRS zones because they never wanted to go through corners. Remember, I think a few years back, Max Verstappen was going through 130R at Suzuka with the DRS open. And of course, he was trialing that at turn one at Silverstone before they cancelled it out because it was too dangerous. So to do that at that bank corner, that's going to be quite interesting. 
it's certainly going to be one that will favour some overtaking at a circuit where we may not get much overtaking with these new cars, so perhaps that's part of the motivation as to why they're introducing it. So certainly one to watch out for this weekend, guys, regarding the DRS zones for this weekend. P3, I'm going to go with Sir Lewis Hamilton. I think he's going to respond well. I think he's going to shake off what happened at Spa. And, you know, he had, I think, five or six podiums before that incident. And I think he's going to respond very well and have a good weekend at Mercedes. Hopefully, for their sake, they're not going to be too far off either. So it should be a good weekend of racing. My bold prediction, I think there's going to be a safety car caused by the absolute ocean of orange flares that are going to be doing around this weekend. Now, of course, this is something that we've been talked about a lot. We saw some of it at Spa. We saw Austria. There's a lot of it. I think visibility is going to be affected so much at the early stages of the race because of it that they will put a safety car out just to get the cars to go around whilst the flares sort of dissipate into the air and fade away so that we can actually get racing. i just got a funny feeling if it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to be there when the Orange Army are in their thousands at this circuit. Yeah. Just imagine if Max crashes out due to visibility from orange flares oh, at well. the I mean, Dutch Grand Prix. That would uh, be the equivalent. I think Courtney mentioned it the other day. That would be the equivalent of... Um, oh, was it Courtney mentioned it the other day? It might be George Morgan, actually, we had on. Mentioned the goal that Liverpool scored against Sunderland with Darren Bent and... Uh, sorry, Sunderland scored against Liverpool, I should say. Got to get that right. With Darren Bent, where the Liverpool fan put an inflatable beach ball onto the pitch... And the ball ricocheted off it and went into the back of the net to go against them. So it's kind of reminiscent of that in a weird way. Fan intervention obviously cost their own driving their own interest. I'll tell you what, if that did happen with Max Verstappen, I would not want to be the fan that was responsible directly for that. Although I'm not sure how you could pin it on one person because nah. it's crazy how they get flares in there. They shouldn't be doing yeah, that. they shouldn't. They really shouldn't. I know they enjoy it, but it's... I mean, it's it's great to see atmosphere-wise. I'd definitely love to be there. I'm kind of jealous of people going there. I'd love to see that kind of atmosphere. But we're talking about drivers going at 200 miles an hour, racing each other in some crazy hard cars to drive. And the last thing you want to do is impact their visibility or make it harder for them by doing something like that. But until it happens, I'm I'm worried that it's it's going to require something like that to happen before the FIA say, look, we've got to, you know, stop this... Bad. Before it gets worse, but um, never know. They might be there to support Lando Norris. I saw a video <laughs> the other day. I think it was a fan walking through some uh, the paddock, oh, not the paddock, walking through the fan park and seeing some Max Verstappen fans. And he shook their hands and I just wanted to congratulate you and thank you for supporting Lando Norris. But uh, yep. they love Lando, the uh, the Dutch fans. They love Lando there. You say so. You never know. There might be Lando fans rather than Verstappen. Who knows? But. Lee, of course, that was really yep. enjoyable stuff. As always, guys, just a quick reminder, of course, if you are new to the DNF1 F1 podcast and you enjoy what we do and you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel. We're not far away from 800 subs, although we might have gone past that by the time this goes live. So if we have, thank you so much, of course, for your ongoing support. If you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. And if you are listening to us on your favourite audio or podcasting platform, you can give us a nice review. If you think we're worthy of five stars, please do give us a five-star review. Of course, if you think that we're not and you feel that there's something that we can do to improve the show, please do let us know. Write a nice little review for us on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate that because you guys are the reason why we do this show. We absolutely love making content for you and we want to make this as good as it can be for you lovely lots. So do let us know what we can do in the comment section or on your favorite podcasting platform review section. All that's left to say, guys, is thank you so much for tuning in. Please stay safe. Enjoy the Dutch Grand Prix this weekend. And we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, 
if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care and thanks for listening. Podcast Network.